Section 36 of Violet Osborne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Violet Osborne by Lady Emily Ponsonby. Volume 3, Chapter 8. Twist ye, twine ye, even so, mingle shades of joy and woe, hope and fear and peace and strife in the thread of human life. Walter Scott A week or two of dejection and depression, and then, in the varying turns and events of life, a circumstance occurred to change the current of Violet's ideas and send her thoughts forward with hope and fear. Fear enough to agitate, but hope enough to arouse and excite into the future. This circumstance was the announcement of Albert's marriage to Margaret Lester. He wrote himself to announce it, a few words to his aunt. A long letter enclosed to Violet, a letter so joyous that, as old women say, it did the heart good to read it. He said that, though she had only been a month in England, the month was quite enough. He had never forgotten her, and he soon began to hope she had not forgotten him. He had not intended to propose so soon, but it happened that one evening they all went to a concert together, and he and Margaret were separated from Lester and Rachel, and after a certain song that was sung, he felt suddenly impelled to try his chance, and it had all been settled in no time. These and other particulars, with expressions of satisfaction in his great luck and expectations of true happiness, filled up his letter, and Violet read and re-read, not for poor Albert's sake, but for the constant recurrence of the name on which her affections were so immovably fixed. All the disagreeable reflections of the last weeks melted into air. Her eyes shone, her step was light, and she was herself again. The day following a more agitating letter arrived, one from Lester himself. Violet saw the writing and could scarcely sit at the table while her mother read. Without raising her eyes, her mother guessed the feelings of her daughter and, as soon as it was finished, put it into her hand, saying, A few kind lines from Mr. Lester. When you have read it, dear, give it to your father. Violet read, Dear Mrs. Osborne, I cannot allow you to hear of the event that is about to take place in our families without assuring you of my hearty approval. I know Alice well, and that knowledge disposes me to trust my sister's happiness in his hands with perfect confidence. With equal confidence, I think you may receive my sister as your nephew's wife. I know his welfare is almost as dear to you as hers is to me, and I believe we may both be thankful for the destiny that allots them to each other. In a worldly point of view, there certainly are some objections. Yet I cannot consider the marriage unwise. 
They will have enough for the present moment, and the steadiness with which Alice has fought for the last five years with his natural indolence gives a promise for the future. I trust you will look on the engagement in the same light that I do. Pray remember me most kindly to Mrs. Osborne and your daughter, and believe me, most faithfully yours, John Lester. Violet almost choked as she read. The letter was so cold, so grave. Not one word of the pleasure the alliance with her family gave him, not one expression that answered to the rapturous sensation with which she had heard of the connection that was to unite them. Yet if Violet could have known with what feelings with views how different to hers Lester contemplated this alliance, she would not have complained that the letter was cold. In his eyes the connection was nothing but a source of pain. He had said he could not meet Violet as a friend, and though of late that word had been used in his heart, though he had said that as a friend and not as a lover he would go to learn his fate, Yet since he had seen her, and even before he had seen her, the word had been recalled. He had suffered too much to wish to enter again into the strife. To him the connection that must so inevitably bring them together had no charms. The perusal of Lester's letter changed Violet's first feelings of unclouded joy into the agitations of hope and fear, but not the less her life was reanimated, and with something of her old spirit she applied herself to the helping and cheering of Ida and her other labors of love. Two or three days afterwards a letter came from Margaret Lester. This letter was also cold, for Margaret had not forgiven, could not forgive. But Violet was Albert's cousin, almost his sister and her resentment, though it influenced her style, did not influence her conduct. She wrote to entreat Violet to be her bridesmaid. There was to be no fuss, for they all hated a fuss, but Rachel would be one bridesmaid, and she wished Violet to be the other. The marriage was to take place at the end of August, and Mr. and Mrs. Osborne were also and warmly pressed to come up to attend it. Violet's reply, uninfluenced by the style of Margaret's letter, which, indeed, because comparatively indifferent she scarcely perceived, was grateful and cordial. Perhaps as she wrote she felt that Lester would read her words, perhaps she resolved that, should any feeling be still slumbering in his breast, no look or word of hers should henceforth repel him, but her thoughts and cares, if there were such, were in vain. Of the letter, its words or its style, nothing was said. Only when the matter was settled, Rachel seized an opportunity to observe, Margaret thought it right to ask Miss Osborne to be her bridesmaid, and she has consented. Lester was reading. He put down his book and said quietly, I am glad she has done so. It struck me only this morning that it ought to be done. You do not mind, John? Rachel said timidly. 
Lester colored, but he saw his sister's anxious face. It is not perhaps what I like best, he said with grave truth, but I should never wish a recollection of what is past to interfere with our present relations. Remember that. I shall do what I can to show that it is forgotten, and so I hope will you. And must it be forgotten? trembled on Rachel's lips, but the inquiry was not spoken. There was a look in his face that warned her off, which said, Hifercho, you may come, but no further. Leave me and my sorrows in peace. And she obeyed him. End of Volume 3, Chapter 8